Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. I wanted to invite up a couple of friends to start our morning, or actually actually to continue our morning. It's not like we're just starting now, huh? Um, I wanted to invite up Jenny and Tamash and Nomna and Miguel. Would you guys welcome them to the stage? <clears throat> oh, you need it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, at Vineyard Cleveland, we're just really blessed to have um, different languages that are represented this morning. And so I wanted to do Lectio Divina which is uh, a sacred kind of thing where we just focus on a small portion of Scripture and meditate on that. And I wanted you to hear the Scripture in different languages this morning. And so uh, dial in your hearts. You don't have to do much. Uh, The words won't even be on the screen. This is from Revelation 7, 9 through 17. And this is the scene at the end, or should I say the beginning, of all things. When Jesus' kingdom has come in fullness and he's sitting on the throne ruling and reigning and the kingdom is full. So, okay. <laughs> Amen. Now we're going to hear it in Hungarian. A trón és a bárány előtt álltak fehér ruhában, és a kezükben pálmaágat tartottak. Ezt kiáltották. A győzelem Istenünké, aki a trónon ül, és a bárányé. Az angyalok, akik körülállták a trónt, a mennyei vezetőket és a négy mennyei élőlényt arcra borultak a trón előtt. Ezekkel a szavakkal imádták Istent. Amen. Istenünk, tiéd az áldás, a dicsőség, a bölcsesség, a hála, a tisztelet, a hatalom és az erő örökké. Amen. Ekkor az egyik mennyei vezető megkérdezte tőlem, kik ezek a fehér ruhások és honnan jöttek? Így feleltem, Uram, te tudod. Így válaszoltak, ők azok, akik a nagy szenvedések idejéből jöttek, akik a bárány vérével megtisztították és megfehérítették ruháikat. Ezért állnak most Isten trónja előtt a templomában, és imádják őt éjjel-nappal. Az, aki a trónon ül, kiterjeszti sátorát fölöttük. 
ezért soha többé nem éheznek, nem szomjaznak, a nap nem égeti, hőség nem bántja őket, mert a báránya pásztoruk, aki a trón közepén ül és az életvizének forrásaihoz vezeti őket, Isten pedig minden könnyet letöröl a szemükről. Amen. Una multitud salida de la gran tribulación. Después de esto miré, y he aquí una gran multitud, la cual nadie podía contar de todas las naciones y tribus y pueblos y lenguas que estaban delante del trono y en la presencia del Cordero, vestidos de ropas blancas y con palmas de las manos. Y clamaban a gran voz, diciendo, «La salvación pertenece a nuestro Dios» que está sentado en el trono y al Cordero. Y todos los ángeles estaban en pie alrededor del trono, y de los ancianos y de los cuatro seres vivientes, y se postraron sobre su rostro delante del trono y adoraron a Dios diciendo, Amén. La bendición y gloria y la sabiduría y la acción de gracias y la honra y el poder y la fortaleza sean a nuestro Dios por los siglos de los siglos. Amén. Entonces, uno de los ancianos habló diciéndome, estos que están vestidos de ropa blanca, ¿quiénes son y de dónde han venido? Yo le dije, Señor, tú lo sabes. Y él me dijo, estos son los que han salido de la gran tribulación y han lavado sus ropas y la han emblanquecido en la sangre del Cordero. Por esto están delante del trono de Dios y le sirven día y noche en su templo. Y el que está sentado sobre el trono extenderá su tabernáculo sobre ellos. Ya no tendrán hambre ni sed, y el sol no caerá más sobre ellos ni calor alguno. Porque el Cordero que está en medio del trono los pastoreará y los guiará a fuentes de aguas de vida, y Dios enjugará toda lágrima de los ojos de ellos. Amén. Amén. Hey, let's... Um, let's welcome the presence of God. And just, just in case you are not up to speed on your Mandarin recently, you haven't been keeping up with your language lessons. In the middle, we see in this vision from John that salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We welcome you, Spirit of God. We thank you that you will one day gather up people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Those who claim you as Lord, those who claim you as Messiah, those who belong to you from every corner of the earth, from the north to the south and east and west, you gather. You're, where you are lifted up, you draw all men and women to yourself, Holy Spirit. We just thank you, Jesus. We thank you for what a mystery and what an amazing reality it is that you came to be like us, put on skin and bones, and laid down your life for us. And we offer our lives back to you. Amen. 
Yeah, every tribe, nation, and tongue before the throne declaring that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the Deliverer. He's the Alpha, the Omega. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the firstborn from amongst the dead. He's the bread of life. He is the word from heaven, the sentiment of the Father over us. Before there was, he was. He's the way, the truth, and the only life. Think with me for a moment on this scene that we just uh, read through that has just been described to you. How we heard it in three different languages and how what was divided way back at the Tower of Babel becomes one in Jesus Christ. We tried to build a tower to get to heaven on our own, but the tower came crumbling down. We needed one Savior to reconcile men and women back to God on his terms, not on ours. And this is the scene in the book of Revelation that John sees. Every heart, every voice before Jesus' throne singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy to receive power and glory and honor. Every story that has gone into that scene, countless stories, each individual came to a moment in their life where they realized that Jesus was who he said he was. That Jesus did what he said he did. That Jesus is the king. Countless myriads of people, millions upon millions, before the throne of God. And each one of those individuals has a story to tell. Someone else, and here's the key. Think of it right now. It's beyond comprehension. Think of it. Countless people before the throne of God. Myriads. Angels before God. Someone else took the time to share the gospel of the kingdom which, with each and every individual before the throne of God. Someone else took the time to share or demonstrate the good news of the gospel of Jesus with each and every person worshiping in the scene that John describes. They shared or demonstrated in such a way that Jesus captured their hearts for all eternity. Whether it was a missionary in the Brazilian rainforest going up the Jingu River, or through an underground Bible study in China, it might have been at a Lutheran summer camp at Lakeside, or over a long talk in a cup of coffee. It came to some of the first to ever believe on the continent of Africa and Ethiopia. And then it spread like wildfire to a co-worker in a cubicle in London 2,000 years later when someone else offered to pray for their headache. A tent meeting during the Great Awakening or at a small little house on Azusa Street in Los Angeles. Maybe it happened in a small village when the, uh, when someone first saw those gospel pictures from the book of Kells on the island of Ireland, and their hearts were arrested by the Spirit of God, and that's why they're there before the throne of God, because someone else took the time to share or demonstrate the gospel with them. 
through the prayers of faithful grandmothers on their knees, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through awe-inspiring poetry or music, someone took the time to share or demonstrate the good news about who Jesus is with each and every person who will worship before the throne of God. And it would seem like a fairy tale, but it's actually the greatest and clearest uh, reality that there is. And here's the goodness for this morning, that Jesus is the good news. Jesus is the gospel, and he, for the sake of the world, laid down his life and was crucified on a Roman cross, was buried, and on the third day rose from the dead, conquering hell in the grave, so that anyone who would believe in him would experience forgiveness for their sins, a new way to be human, and then everlasting together with their Creator, worshiping with all of the others who heard and believed the greatest of all news, that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Messiah. Someone took the time to share with you. Think for a moment, if you claim Jesus as Lord, think for a moment, about the person who shared the gospel with you or who demonstrated the kingdom with you or for you. It took someone else. You see, we're all just links in the chain in the coming procession of the fullness of the kingdom of God. Someone took the time to share with you that God so deeply loved the world. In fact, that God loved you so much that he gave up his only son so that whoever believes in Jesus would have eternal life, would not perish, would have forgiveness of sin, freedom from addiction, everlasting with their Creator. Someone took the time to share with you in their words and in their actions that you can be forgiven of even that thing that you don't want to bring to the light, that you can be forgiven from that thing. You know that one, that thing, that thing that was done to you, that thing that you did to others, the way that you offended God's heart, that you can be forgiven. Someone humbled themselves enough to not promote themselves, but shared with you that you could belong into a new family, the body of Christ. That someone else was so lost in love with Jesus that they couldn't help but share with you the good news about him. Quickly, as we move through, I long in my own heart, and I believe that this is on the heart of God for Vineyard Cleveland, that we would be a people who embody the good news of Jesus Christ, who share and demonstrate as Paul writes to us in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. Paul writes this, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you, uh, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. 
that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some of them have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then all Uh, than to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Really quickly, Vineyard Cleveland, here's what I envision for this 11-week series for the sake of the world, that we would embody Jesus as the good news and hear his call and be motivated to share the gospel with others in our lives. First, Paul says, this is of first importance. This is of first importance. Vineyard Cleveland, let's be a people who take our walk with Jesus sincerely and seriously. Let's be those people who overflow with the love of Jesus. We overflow as human beings naturally with that which is of first importance to us. We can't help but share what we love. We're created that way. My context is music. I love music. Some of you might call me a music snob, and that's your prerogative. You would be right. But whenever I find a new band, I tell all of my friends about that new band. I'm like, man, you got to check them out. They're amazing. I don't know if that's still a thing with Spotify and the new generation. That's how it was back in my day. And um, it's hard to admit I'm like one of the old guys in the room now. But that's how it was, and I just am enthusiastic about the stuff that I'm excited about, whether it's learning how to use a smoker and smoking meat, or fly fishing, or, um, or new music that I come across. And I hear Jesus' uh, call on us as a church, Eben, let's put Jesus in first importance, in first place. I want to encourage all of us as we journey this together over the course of the next weeks and months and years that we would overflow with that which is of first importance. I want to encourage you to place Christ and myself as well to place Christ as first importance in our life, in our work, in our relationships, regardless of what the cost may be to us personally. As we head into this new year, the world is becoming a more chaotic place by the day, isn't it? Gosh, sometimes I feel like I don't even recognize the world that I live in. Maybe that's because Christ is is changing all of us on the inside to make us look more like Him. But in a chaotic world, how beautiful and attractive is it when people spill over with the beauty of Jesus? overflowing in our lives and our hearts with the goodness of God. Let's put Jesus in fir- as of first importance in our lives. Secondly, Paul talks about the simple gospel. The simple gospel. Here's the truth. Theologians have argued about what the gospel is for thousands of years. We're not going to figure it out in uh, 11 weeks. My friend Walt and I were talking last week, and uh, we were talking about the sermon series and how quickly all of us uh, moved or started to lean into defining what the gospel is. And we will do that. We will take some time at the beginning in the next couple of weeks to say, what is the gospel? 
to define just what the gospel is. But if we stay there, you see, we're not fulfilling the mission of Jesus. Because we can think and think and think about the gospel. We can think and think and think about Jesus. But it's sort of like this practical theological amnesia. We forget. We forget that the gospel is supposed to be shared with others. It's not supposed to be kept inside in our little hearts, in our little corner of the world. But that Jesus meant for the gospel to get out. And he meant for the church to be the vehicle through which that happens. He has a purpose for you to play, whether you're introverted, extroverted, or somewhere in between, depending on the time of day. He has a purpose for you to play in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, demonstrating the good news of Jesus Christ with others. The simple gospel is that Jesus died, was buried, and on the third day was raised to life again. Let's be those who keep it simple in this overly complex world, you know, oftentimes in the complexity of our world today, the simple gospel is most often heaven's solution. Now, there's many caveats to that, but in a general broad sense, the simple gospel is heaven's solution to earthly problems. First important, simple gospel, according to the scriptures, that we would be a people over these 11 weeks who long to get alone with Jesus and into his word. That we would eat it like bread. That we would find that the depth of our relationship, the depth of our sharing the gospel, the depth of sharing Jesus with others is directly correlated to how often we get into here. If we're not getting in here with the Lord and hearing from him, It'll never spill out to the world around us. If we take even 10 minutes, 15 minutes a day, at the top of the day or the end of your day, just to open and say, okay, here I am. Speak to me, God. That's it. That's all. No one's asking you to be deep theologians in the room, but a grounded biblical literacy to just honor the Word of God and say, I've got to hear from you, God, today. Or this, like, like Bridget was expressing to us this morning, that we exist because of the very word of God. That the Holy Spirit speaks to us according to the scriptures, Paul says. We find the gospel by the scriptures. And lastly, witness. This word appeared is all over verses 1 through 8. Witness. In 2000, what was this? It's been a while now, 16. We, we were really familiar with that word, witness, weren't we? We were all witness to LeBron James coming back to Cleveland and uh, winning the, the championship. That word was everywhere, that we were witnesses to greatness happening in our city. Paul, Paul talks about the appearance of Jesus. He appeared to James. He appeared to to Paul. He appeared to 500 after the resurrection. In his resurrected body, Jesus appeared to many of them. You know, there's nothing more powerful than a transformed life. Vineyard Cleveland, that our lives through the, the, the course of this series would point towards Jesus in our love for him and in our love for others. 
in the power of the Holy Spirit, you carry Christ with you wherever you go. How many of you know it's difficult to argue with a changed life? When you say, no, no, he's not like that. God's not like that. I met him, you see. I've met him. Don't the scriptures tell us in Acts, like, these men were known. It's like people who were outside of the faith in the Roman Empire got around these guys and they're like, whoa, these dudes have been with Jesus. They just knew. Without them saying a word, everyone else knew that these people had been around Jesus. It's like that James Taylor song. Any James Taylor song fans? James Taylor? Some of you just saw, he's like way back in the 70s. There's one back there. Well, he's got this song, and the lyrics say, you can tell I'm well. If, if I'm well, you can tell that she's been with, of course, he's talking about his lover, but if I, you can tell if I'm well, she's been with me. Let it be said of Vineyard Cleveland that we are well because we've been with Jesus, and people can just tell about us. There's something different on the people of Jesus. This is a sacred thing that we're doing here to be encouraged, to be equipped, and then, and then sent out. That you would be filled. Paul says, and I'm skipping here, but Paul says you are the aroma of Christ. So as you drift into the city, into Parma, as you're parenting your kids, into Middleburg, into Ashtabula, into Old Brooklyn, into Lakewood, into Brunswick, Medina, into Strongsville. You are, picture the aroma of Christ flooding out into communities, schoolhouses, legal systems. You carry the presence of Jesus with you inside of your chest. And it's difficult to argue with a changed life. Jesus goes right along with you. I want to invite you into a journey these next 11 weeks. And it's not me, really. Jesus is inviting us into the greatest story that's ever been told. My friend Jason Torrance is uh, really into um, epic action hero stories. If any of you have heard him teach here before, you would know that. And so I love when Jason preaches the gospel because he's always weaving this element of like the epic story of God into this greater narrative. And he'd be right to do that. Sometimes as Christians, we forget just what we've been invited to when it comes to sharing the good news, demonstrating the good news with other people in our lives. That souls are at stake. That you have been invited, if you claim Jesus, into the, the most epic battle of good versus evil. Like, more epic than, like, all of the Marvel movies put together. And then some. That you're in it. And that's, for some of you, that's bad news. You're like, oh, shoot. <laughs> I don't want to be on the field. I'm sorry. <laughs> we are on the field just on the basis of having a beating heart in our chest. That's the way that it is. We're in the middle of a battle. You're in the middle of a battle at work. You're in the middle of a battle with your family. You're in the middle of a battle, and the battle isn't between the people that you're with, really. It's for the souls of everyone here on earth. And Jesus wins the day. And how does he win the day? Through the local church. What is the context for this epic battle between good and evil, darkness and light? The local church. 
little old us. You're in it. And so that's where you're invited into over the course of the next 11 weeks, but let's not stop there for the rest of our lives. We'll be diving into what the gospel means and what it is, and we'll be asking God how we can play a part in this story. We'll be asking questions like, when do we share it? Where do we share it? Who do we share it with? So our desire, and this is, this is the important one, our desire is not that we'd have more programmatic evangelism. Ugh, ugh, that's the last thing that we need. Programs are events. Jesus has called us to a way of life. So our hope through this message series is that many more folks who, who claim Vineyard Cleveland as like home, like this is your home, that we'd feel equipped to share the gospel of Jesus with other people, to demonstrate, not just share, not just words, but praxis as well, that we'd share and demonstrate the gospel of the kingdom with other people, that we'd feel the sense of his presence going with us. And I, I feel all of you introverts in the room. You're like, I don't. But before you do that, please, I'm married to an introvert. I'm becoming one as I journey along in life. Before you do that, I want to let you know that I know some of the most effective and great evangelists of our time are introverts. That it's not always in the gospel, in the kingdom, it's not always the loudest at the table who wins the day. Very frequently, it's, those are the last people who win the day. But the gospel always moves forward quietly, small steps, in secret, right? It just kind of grows. That's how the gospel moves forward. And so this is a nod to you introverts in the room. We see you, we love you, and the church needs you. Because you can reach folks that will never hear the gospel from me. Don't have ears to hear it from me. You can demonstrate the kingdom in a way that's so beautiful and so lovely to folks that wouldn't even be able to see me. Too loud, too boisterous. So you get to play as well. We want to become the type of people who are not ashamed of bearing Jesus' name. Like in Matthew 5.16, that we would let our light shine before men and women to affirm by our actions that old hymn, that they'll know we are Christians. How? By our sermons? Nope. By our love. That we would be known for following Jesus by our love. It's the most craziest thing. It's, it's the most crazy thing that salvation, this scene that we read in Revelation, doesn't primarily happen on stages or even on Sunday mornings through a pastor. Hardly ever does it. That's not the way that Jesus set up the church to function. Michael Green wrote this book about the early church and evangelism. It's fascinating. And here's what he says about Christianity's early expansive growth. He says this, quote, It was in reality accomplished by means of informal missionaries. I love that. 
That is Christian lay people, not trained preachers or evangelists. They carried the mission of the church, not through formal preaching, but informal conversation. Where? In homes and wine shops, on walks and around market stalls. They did it naturally, enthusiastically, and I love this bit. Here's the goods. Having found treasure. They meant to share it with others to the limit of their ability. Finding treasure and sharing it. The early church understood just what eternal value and worth that they had found. And they valued the treasure above everything else because they realized the treasure they found was not a thing, it was a person. Or as Tim Keller puts it, Jesus does not just bring good news, Jesus is good news. Jesus is the gospel. Jesus said of himself, I am the resurrection and the life. He's the treasure waiting to be found by those in your life who don't yet follow him. He's it. He's the treasure. He's the first to bring good news in Mark 1, 14 and 15. Jesus preached and demonstrated the good news of the kingdom of God. He said uh, that The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. In Luke, he said, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. Throughout this series, we'll see and grow in our understanding and not just in our thoughts, but in our actions that we are the aroma of Christ, truly and in all reality. That's who you are first. You belong to Jesus first. You're, you're an amazing mom. You're an amazing um, lawyer. You're a great dad. You are a wonderful grandfather. But you are a Jesus follower first. You are first the aroma of Christ to those dying in a perishing world. You are life and light to the people around you.